publicly announcing that his kingdom is here, that in Jesus, the kingdom of God is on earth. Yeah, yeah it's the, the Emmanuel that was of the Old Testament, God with us, that God is now with us, and he is a part of what's going on in the world. This is the giant coming out, if you will, that he has for us. So let's look at this a little closer. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to look at 7 through 10. And, and this is one of those important things, again, where it's really, really important you turn on your imagination, right? Um, a lot of scripture, sometimes we read it like it's a textbook, you know, and we kind of delve, delve into the details. And I do that with the language and that kind of thing. But really, much of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, much of the Bible, the Gospels, is story, right? And, and this existed before. It was very easy to write things down and copy them. So they told the story. And so I know that my imagination gets out of control, okay? I get that. But this morning, we're going to have fun with it, okay? So... So turn on your imagination. You got it going? You got your holy imagination turned on there? So now you need to imagine what's going on. It is, it is Passover in Israel. And, and there is, there's no way to communicate to you how big that is to them. It, 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 there's just nothing in our culture to compare with it. It's like if you took Christmas and Easter and Fourth of July and Super Bowl Sunday and the World Series and rolled it all into one giant sort of thing, okay? It's, they, they, it was a big deal, and they would all try to get to Jerusalem if they could. In fact, every Jew, even if he lived far away would, and couldn't come, would say, next year in Jerusalem. That was their, their thing. They were going to be in Jerusalem. Josephus, a, uh, a historian of the period, a secular historian of the period, said that during, during Passover, some of the villages around there would just be abandoned because everybody was in Jerusalem for this giant sort of thing. And so they're, they're coming from all over the world. Some of them would make a pilgrimage to be there. You might hear languages you'd never heard before, all sorts of things. It's like shoulder to shoulder in, in Jerusalem, you know? And, and I, I was trying to figure out how to make an analogy of this. So I won't ask you to raise hands. But if any of you have ever been to one of those concerts where everybody gathers at the front and it's like this, that was Jerusalem at that point. The whole city was like that. It was just packed. There would have been thousands of sacrifices. The blood would have run with the, the lambs that were slaughtered in all of that. And, and so this is, this is a, a super important time to them. Not just because of, of the celebration itself, but here's the thing that was really important. They believed that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would reveal himself at Passover. So every year when they went to Passover, it's like, maybe this year. Maybe this is the year that the Savior will show up. Maybe this is the time when all of this oppression and all of this stuff is going to come to the end for us. And, and God is going to move in a powerful sort of way. Someone want to say amen there? <laughs> Wouldn't you be excited for that? <laughs> okay, just, just checking through all of that. And so you have this wonderful thing going on of expectation. And so I, as best I can, just oh, so many people and so much going on. So let's jump into the text at verse 7. So what's happened before this is Jesus has sent the disciples to get a donkey, right? And to bring the donkey to Jesus. And we're going to pick it up right there. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus. Okay, cloaks is the outside part of their thing. On it for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd, very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, right? So now they're putting that thing down. And remember, they don't have a lot of changes of clothes, and they're about to let a donkey run over these whole sorts of things. While others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road as well. 
So that's the context. This is the be beginning of, of all of this. And you can imagine what's going on as they're beginning to do this because this was not an everyday occurrence, right? They're treating him like he's a king, like he's, the, like he's an important sort of person coming into town. And so what I imagine has happened at this point is that rumors have been going around about Jesus. You all know how rumors work, right? People talk and they spread it around and all of that. And, and there's been this rumor about Jesus. Is he the one? We don't, I don't who, what's this guy Jesus? Is he a prophet? Is he, you know, he's a healer? What, how does that, that all work? You know, he's been doing these miracles, you know. And so you can imagine that they're beginning to, to wonder. And so here comes Jesus riding on a donkey down into there. And there's all kinds of symbolism that's really important and one of the things you've, you've heard me say before is a donkey represented peace. A king came in peace, and that's certainly true. But one of the things I learned, actually, this, this year uh, when I was kind of digging into this was that it also represented the throne of David. That David, when he went to coronation, and Solomon, his son as well, they, he rode in on a donkey. And the, so there's a certain sense that when he comes on a donkey, he is claiming the throne of David. He is saying, I am the king. I am the Messiah. And they would have got that. And it's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And so you can imagine people are hearing about this, this very large crowd, and they begin to spread it around to all of their friends, right? You know? So if, if Jesus showed up, you'd probably call a few of your friends and say, hey, we're going down there now. You got to come on, come with me, right? And so I just imagine somebody comes to the door and says, Joseph, you got to come. You, you're not, you see what's happening going down. Jesus is coming, and I think he's the Messiah. He's riding on a donkey. And Joseph is like, really? Yeah, okay. So he stops what he's doing and he says, hey, hey, Martha, come on. We got to go. It's like, I'm feeding the kids. We think the Messiah is coming. Okay, we're done with lunch. Bye, you know. Somebody wake up grandpa because I'm a grandpa and we take naps from time to time, you know. Wake grandpa up and you, you gather them up and they begin to, to go towards the, the path that comes down from the eastern gate. We think it was the eastern gate that Jesus came through in that and and, you know, there's so many people there, and so you got to put the little ones on your shoulders, and you're, you're dragging one along that doesn't know what's going on, but there's this sense of excitement, and everybody's moving that direction. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, you kind of get to that sort of, sort of place there, and, and you're going, oh, wait, wait, we got to have a branch, because a branch represents victory, and Messiah was the victorious one, right? So I, I, I don't know what happened in that neighborhood, but I'm guessing they debranched the whole place, man. Afterwards, it was like, oh, man, you know? So they're whacking them down, and they're them and give them to the kids and, and, and all of that. And you can understand their anticipation. For 400 years, God had been silent. And then one day, this guy named John the Baptist showed up and started talking about a Savior and a Messiah. And then he got killed. But then, but then just Jesus guy was doing miracles and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And here's the deal. This may have been a part of what drew him as well. There was this rumor that Jesus had raised a dead guy by the name of Lazarus. And he was with Jesus. Now, who wouldn't want to go see a guy that was dead and is now alive? I'd show up for that, you know? Wouldn't you? I mean, I'd pay tickets for that if I really, I probably would be very doubtful. But, you know, that, that, was, a, that was a part of it. And so he, he's coming and the huge crowd is beginning to grow as they're excited about that. And they're beginning to lay their branches down and more cloaks are going down. And you can see him kind of looking down there going, is that Jesus? Is that? No, no, that's just George. Get out of the way, George. You know, and, and you're watching him down there and suddenly he starts to show up and there's a crowd and, and somebody dawns on him. This isn't like any of these other times. Something's different. I think maybe this is really the Messiah. And someone says, Hosanna. You know, someone else goes, Hosanna. 
Yeah, there you go. Good job. <laughs> you know, Hosanna. <laughs> and then, then someone else would have picked it up and someone else, and, the, and you can feel the excitement going as they, as they listen to it. And, and so uh, verse, verse 9 picks it up, and it's, oh, man, sorry. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Okay, at the very top. Yeah, Hosanna. You're way better than the eight cloud. They didn't get any of that. So <laughs> kind of throwing me off here. And, and I don't know what that crowd looked like exactly, but it says that there was a crowd that went before him and a crowd that went after him. It was, it was a parade, if you will, the greatest parade the world has ever known. It was a parade, I think. It doesn't say, but I think it was a parade of the living witnesses of what Christ has done. Because, I mean, there's some danger in marching in the parade with a guy that's being declared king, right? Rome isn't going to be too thrilled about that, going, whoa, 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 who's king here, you know? Plus some of the other religious leaders of that time and, and that whole piece of it. And so it had to be people that were pretty committed. And, I, and again, I don't know, but in turning on my holy imagination, I think the people that were leading that crowd were the ones who had been crippled and one day had an encounter with Jesus and they could walk. And I think they were dancing because I'm telling you, in this, that period of time, if you were crippled, you did not have much of a life, and there was no hope. And one day, this guy called Jesus showed up, and he did something in your life, and all of a sudden, you could stand up, and you could take your mat, and you could go home. And if it happened to me, I would dance. It'd be ugly, but I would dance. You know, some of you'd be ugly, too. I've seen some of you, you know. <laughs> You know, I, I think after that, I think the, the ones that were leading the horse down that trail and, and towards Jerusalem, I think it was somebody who had sat at the gate and begged because they were blind. And then all their life, they'd had someone that had to lead them to where they were going. And all of a sudden, one day, they had an encounter with the living God. And their eyes were made to see again. And instead of being led places, now they're leading the donkey that carries the Messiah of the world. I don't know what it was like. I just, I just think that's just my sanctified uh, imagination in all of that. It says that there were some behind him. I think there were probably some that were next to him. And I probably think those were the women who were caught in adultery. And Jesus said, these are my people. These are my people. It doesn't matter about your past. You're Jesus' people, amen? amen. That's the way that works. And then, and, and then I, I think maybe behind the ones that were following, I, I think it was a group of people who had been lepers, you know, and they had to ring a bell and say, unclean, unclean, and everyone had to stay away from them. Even, even their spouse and their, their children, they lived a, a world of absolute isolation. And one day Jesus came by and he healed them. And all of a sudden, they don't have to ring the bell, and they can hug their wife, and they can hug their kids, and they can connect with people. And I believe, and I am not a hugger, but I believe in that minute, God converted them to huggers, man. Because I think for the rest of my life, I think that'd make me a hugger, you know? You can just see them following along going, free hugs, free hugs, you know? Kind of a th my son used to have a shirt that said, free hugs. We won't go into that. And I don't know who was after that. Maybe it was Zacchaeus, you know? Zacchaeus, who had stole from everybody, and one day he met Jesus, and he said, I'm giving it back. Maybe he's passing out money. Maybe that's why the crowd got big. They heard Zacchaeus was passing out. I don't know. And then the last one, I think, probably going along was a guy by the name of Lazarus. And he says, you think those stories are impressive? Let me tell you about mine. I was dead. 
and now I'm alive. Because Jesus came by and called me from that place. Listen to this description from Zechariah about the kingdom of God. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph. You notice how often shout comes up with the Messiah? Shout, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Victory. Yet he is humble and riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Or Isaiah gives another description of it in 35. It says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer. See, they danced, okay? They danced like a deer, but they danced, okay? And the mute tongue shut will shout for joy. And again, I don't know how it all went, but it talked about, you know, kind of in the highest heavens. I think all of heaven was singing, Hosanna. <laughs> Almost missed that one, didn't you? <laughs> don't you imagine that the heavenly choir and the heavenly host and the armies of God were all shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There you go. That all of creation was joining in this great celebration. And here's the reason. Passover celebrates God setting his people free from slavery. That's what this is all about. In fact, Passover was all about the story of Moses and the children of Israel. You remember the children of Israel were in slavery? And, and uh, one day God came to Moses in a burning bush and said, hey, dude, I want you to go and set my people free. And I don't know if he said dude, but something equivalent to that. You know, and so Moses goes, you know, and in fear and trembling stands before Pharaoh, who was probably the most powerful man in the world at that point, and says, by the way, you know, and he knew him personally, and he said, um, God says you got to set his people free, you know, and he's going like, <laughs> and of course, Pharaoh's like, yeah, not a chance, dude, get out of here, you know, and so he says, comes back later, and, and he begins to say, if you don't, there's some bad things that are going to happen to you. There's these things called plagues. Remember the plagues of Moses and, and Israel and all that? Oh, okay. Let's see how many we can name. Name one. Frogs. Locust. Flies. Blood. What? Hail. Yeah. What was that one? Darkness. Boil. Oh, okay. Water into blood. So here's the list of some of them. Water into blood, frogs, lice, flies, livestock pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. And then, you know, then the ultimate one was the coming of the, the avenging angel or the angel of death. That's such an important part of it. And in the end, you know what Pharaoh did? He let his people go, amen? And so I love this story because basically it's kind of like shoot out at the OK Corral, God versus Pharaoh, right? They're going to have a, they're going to have a knockdown and all of that. And God won. More importantly, God always wins because he is God. That's the point of this is he's just not some, you know, casual sort of God that you sacrifice to and maybe he'll help you out. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And, and they were celebrating in that moment, the Passover, that God had set his people free and now the true king has come in the midst of all of this. And, it, and it's going to continue uh, through all of that. Because here's what I absolutely know. Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. Okay? We have been talking about this. We went through this whole series. It's all about, you know, brokenness and the things that get in our way. I am here to tell you Jesus still sets people free. 
And it may not be physical change. Maybe you've never been in jail. I hope you've never been in jail. But, but he sets you free of that. The other things that are going on in your life. Here's, here's another description of the kingdom of God, the way he rules. Isaiah 61, listen to this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me, has commissioned me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against his enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. That's the exchange, the ashes of mourning and suffering and all of that. He takes all that away and he gives you, he gives you the crown in part of that. Um, and joyous blessing instead of mourning. For those of you who mourn, there's a blessing. Festive praise instead of despair. Not just praise, but festive praise. In, in their righteousness, they will be like oaks the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and repair cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. So God is going to repair the past. Okay? Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. With, you, will, um, you will possess double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Would you look to the person next to you and say, everlasting joy is going to be yours? See, God wants to set you free. That's what it's been about from the very beginning, from the, the binding of sin that happened in Genesis when it took them over to this idea that God is going to set us free, literally, physically, absolutely. But even more than that, he wants to do a spiritual thing. He wants to heal the broken places and free you from the things that, that grip you. It's always been God's purpose to set us free from sin that destroys and cripples us. And then, verse 10, it goes on. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? That's the key question in all of this. That's the thing that matters. Their whole life pivots on how you answer that one question. In fact, this is not the first time Jesus has answered that. When he was gathered with his disciples, one day he said to them, who do men say that I am? Right? Who does, what do the crowd say? And they kind of gave their answers. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And then he asked the pointed question to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah, the anointed one. You're the, you're the one that, that we need in, in all of this. And so let me get real personal right here. I want to ask you this morning, who is Jesus to you? You don't have to answer out loud. Please don't, in fact. Maybe he's just a religious leader. You know, you go to church a few times and yeah, he's got some good things to say. Maybe he's a teacher. Maybe you follow his teachings a little more closely, but, but that's what it is. It's a, it's a teacher kind of thing. Or, or maybe he's someone you pray to when you get in trouble, right? You know, when we get in trouble, people all of a sudden, hey, you know, Jesus, could you come and help me? Interesting kind of story. One day when Jesus was dealing with a blind man, he asked him, do you believe that I can heal you? He said, yeah. And Jesus healed him in the midst of that. Jesus' identity is a struggle for people, but it is the question, who is Jesus to you? Just a good religious leader, or is there something more? One day, a man brought, brought to Jesus uh, his son, and it was in a difficult situation. I want to read to you out of Mark 9. It said, teacher, this is the father, I brought you my son who is a spirit that makes him mute, can't talk. 
When it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, and they were unable. And Jesus asked, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he said. It often throws him into the fire and into the water trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can, echoed Jesus, all things are possible to him who believes. And the word believes means trust. It's not just agreeing with Jesus. By the way, God does not need you to agree with him about reality, right? Okay. Nothing personal, but he doesn't. So believe is put your trust in him. And immediately the boy's father cried out, and I have prayed this prayer so many times, I do believe, help thou my unbelief. Say, help thou my unbelief. Because, see, I think this is where a lot of people get tripped up about relationship with God. They think they got to have it all together and have it perfect and be this kind of perfect Christian thing and never doubt and all of that kind of stuff. That is wrong. It's just wrong. Jesus gathers up all kinds of broken people and misshapen people and people that have all kinds of issues. Have you ever looked at the disciples? What a bunch of screw-ups those guys are. I mean, they're just like awful, you know? And they became the ones that carried the message of Jesus. And if you have come this morning and you're going, I believe, but I've got all these issues that I'm struggling. Would you just pray this morning, help my unbelief, Jesus? You know what the end of the story is? Despite the fact that he didn't believe like he thought he should believe, Jesus healed his son and set him free in that moment. And he's the only one that can truly set us free. So the triumphal entry reveals Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings in the ancient world, when a king would conquer other kings, they would often either leave that king there or set up a puppet king, and then that king would pay tribute to the other king. And so the King of Kings is someone who, who's really big, you know, large and in charge. And, and because those other people, I'm the king over other kings, they bow down to me as well. And so when we say Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we're saying Jesus is King over everything, amen? Everything. I love the, the text about, you know, at, at the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is, is Lord. The same God that defeated Pharaoh is the same God that is here with us this morning. The same God that wants to set you free. And, and I don't know what's going on in your life, but I am telling you, our God is a king. We live in a time when we do a lot of up close and personal. I'm so thankful that God is my friend and I'm thankful that God is close and that God loves me and all of those sorts of things. And God is every bit of that. Jesus is every bit of it. But I am here to tell you he is more than that. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He spoke creation into being. He commands the, the wind and the waves. Jesus was always doing stuff that threw him off, doing miracles that nobody else could do. Nobody can you know, command the wind and the waves. Nobody can walk on water in the middle of a storm. And nobody raised the dead to life. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. Creator and sustainer, all-powerful. The one who was before time began, who spoke creation, who breathed his very image into Adam and Eve and therefore into us. The God who is with us and is part of us. Isaiah 9 fulfilled. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, the donkey, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. But there's another part of this story that's kind of scary. The triumphal entry was the point of no return for Jesus. You know, there's this crazy thing Jesus does. And I don't know, maybe it's never bothered you. But he goes around and he heals people and he says, shh, don't tell anybody about this. Right? Anybody like that is odd? So you all know my story. I had a miraculous healing. And like, I want to tell everybody. You know, I'm like, you can believe this. And so I always wondered about that sort of thing. And, and yet when I think about that, it dawned on me that he was still kind of saying, I'm not ready for everyone to know. I'm not ready for everyone to kind of do what they do when people get excited about this. But once he did this, once he came riding in as a donkey, once he embraced the idea of Messiah, there was no turning back. There was no else place he could go. This is the moment where he, he's ready to move forward. He's ready to embrace it. And he knew, he knew that their hearts were in all of that. Those same people that are raising the palm branches, you know, Hosanna. <laughs> Those same people a few days later would be raising their hands saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I've often wondered if they still didn't have stains on their hands from those that had gone before. Because ultimately, Jesus is either who he say, says he is, or he's a lunatic. Amen? Because he, he, claimed, he claimed to be God. And when you claim to be God, there are really only two choices. Either you are God, or you're not. You're a lunatic, right? You can't be both at the same time. And so for Jesus, this is the moment of, of, of moving forward. And what I think is amazing is for folks that say, well, Jesus wasn't, you know, he was just a man and all of that. And then the, the biggest religion in the world has come out of this. The miracles continue to happen. He was God. And he's putting it all on the line in this moment. But they rejected him because ultimately they wanted an earthly kingdom where they were in charge. Yeah, you, we see that today. Have you noticed, you know, like every politician says, God is on my side, you know, and both sides are saying the same sort of thing, you know, and sometimes I go, oh, okay, and then someone's going, no, I'm pretty sure that's not it, you know. People uh, brand themselves with Jesus. They, they want a religion that makes them better, that lifts them up, that makes them in charge. And this crazy Jesus said things like, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that mistreats you. And by the end of the week, they'd figured that out. He wasn't going to live up to their expectations. I don't know if you know this, but, but there were three understandings of three messiahs. One was a political one, one was a military one, and then one was a spiritual one. And they were sorely disappointed that Jesus was the spiritual messiah and there was no political or military one coming. And his kingdom would change them in so many ways. It called for something completely different from what they thought would happen to them. And frankly, we live in a time where religion is used like that a lot. And maybe, maybe that's what it is for you. Maybe, maybe you come to church because you, you want to network with people. Huh? That's, that's okay, but that's not really what it's about. It's about a changed heart and a changed life. In fact, I think one of the most dangerous prayers is the Lord's Prayer because it has these words. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. You know what the problem with praying that God's will will be done? 
Sometimes what I want doesn't really line up with what God wants. Yeah, more of you should have said amen right there, okay? Let me try that again. Sometimes what God wants doesn't always line up with what I want. Yes, and yet that is his kingdom because when we follow his way, real change is possible. Amen? Because ultimately, Palm Sunday is a call to make Jesus Lord and King of our lives. That's a hard thing, man. We say amen really quickly, but when we talk about Lord and King, this is not like a democracy where everybody gets a vote. You know how a kingdom works? There's one vote, and it's the guy at the top. And when we say, Lord, I want you to be Lord and King of my life, we are saying, I want you to take full control. I want you to have charge of everything. I'm not holding anything back. My career, you make Jesus Lord and King of your life, he may change your career. He did for me. I thought for sure I was gonna be a lawyer, you know? Higher calling, definitely higher calling, you know? He may change your marriage around. You know what happens when you make Jesus Lord and King? This is just for some of you who are young and married. I'll just tell you this from my own experience. You start out praying about your wife, you know? And then the God says, no, 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 I wanna talk to you, you know? No, 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 it's her problem. No, no, I want to talk to you. I quit praying about my wife. I pray for my wife, but I don't pray about her anymore because that always goes bad with God. <laughs> or, or, or maybe friends, or recreation, or your money. You know, does God have your money? The kingdom of God is not a geography of dirt. It's a geography of your heart. And he wants to be Lord, to make him king we obey him. So, Jesus is king. Would you say this with me? Jesus is king. Say it again. Jesus, Jesus is king. king. Want to know what Palm Sunday is about? Jesus is king. Hosanna. And ultimately, he calls us in this moment. Will you have him as the king that he came to be? Or do you want to make him into some other king? Want to make him into a king that gives you political power? Or some other power, you know, maybe you put that on your business. You put the fish on your business and lots of people come to you because you're a Christian. I'm not against that. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying that's not the purpose of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I want to challenge you this morning to bow before the King. The, The early church didn't say Jesus is King so much as they said Jesus is Lord, by which they understood that, absolute control. Say, Jesus is Lord. And that's my challenge to you. In just a few minutes, we're going to come to communion. And and before we get to that point, I I want to, if our musicians could come, I I want to challenge you. you. If you've never really made Jesus king, this morning's the moment for that. I mean, maybe you've been doing religion and all of that. I I get that. None of you are as religious as I am. I'm professionally religious. That's scary. But that's not really about religion. It's about a relationship with God. And it's about a relationship where he is king and you are not. Where we follow him the way he wants us to follow him, not the way the society talks about it. And that's hard because he may change us. But on the other side of making him king is life and that more abundantly. Jesus talked about life a lot because sin is the opposite of life. It's death. It takes away from that. And so in minute as we come, there is no greater moment to make Jesus king of your life than as we come to the table of the Lord. And I, I would invite you as we, we sing this, this 
wonderful song about that. That maybe you take a couple minutes and you pray before you come. And, and, and if you're in that place, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, make him king. Say, Lord, I'm done. I know the moment this happened in my life. I was wrestling with a call to preach. And I was perfectly happy to be a preacher so long as I could do it on my terms. You should all laugh there. Because <laughs> Jesus said, yeah, you're going to preach, but you're going to do it on my terms. And I came to a moment, I've shared this before, service going on back in the old days when we did 100 verses of just as I am and you come to the altar. As I'm sitting there and people had moved, it was a powerful kind of service that was going on. I heard somebody to the right of me say, you need to go forward or step back from your faith. And it was so real, I turned to see who was there and there was nobody there. I set a world record from my pew to the altar. (laughs) And I remember that moment finally saying, Lord, you can have it all. All my brokenness, all my struggles, anything that I'm good at, you can send me wherever you want to send me. I will follow you. You are my king. And in that moment, everything changed. I'd been religious all of my life. I grew up in the church, man. We went to church like four times a week. But it wasn't about that. It was about letting Jesus be king of your life. And if you want to make a spiritual breakthrough, if you're struggling with all of that, let him be king. And all you got to do is invite him in. Those who are going to help us with communion would come. If you make that commitment, I want to encourage you to to talk to us afterwards. We're going to have a baptism service next Sunday on Easter. We would love to baptize you and make you a part of that as well. But as you come, come to the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you are king. Forgive us the delusion that we can run our lives better than you can, Lord. And I pray, Father, this morning that you would especially be with that one that is struggling with lordship. They know it. They recognize it. Maybe it's been going on for a while. And this morning you would give them the grace they need to say yes to you, to let you be completely in control, king of their lives, even if it means going to some sort of cross, sacrificing something they don't want to sacrifice, Lord. Father, would you just let them know that real life, abundant life, is on the other side of Jesus is Lord. We ask, Father, now that you would bless and inhabit these elements, Father. We're reminded that on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread, and when you given thanks, you broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, remember. After supper, he took the cup, and when he had again given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. Whenever you do this, remember what I did for you. The body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. Let us come to the table of the Lord in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to the table of the Lord. Hey, church family, thank you for watching this video. It is amazing that you consider this your church home. If you do consider this your church home, we would ask that you would share this video with a friend. If God has been speaking to you, we would hope that you would share this message. As always, like and subscribe so that you don't miss a single video and tune in each Sunday at 10 a.m. on our live stream or you can join us in person. 
We'll see you next week. God bless.